Welcome to this edition of Nightlight. Paul commands us to not despise prophecy, which means do not treat it with contempt or disregard it or deny its validity. Now, dispensationalism teaches that any true gift of prophecy, along with all the other gifts, ceased to be in operation after the death of the last of the apostles. This would mean that no charism of the Spirit, no anointing, was in operation after the first century, which is a ludicrous concept, obviously. If there's no charismatic anointing on the ministry of speaking, which is, in effect, what dispensationalism teaches, then the Holy Spirit is not even operating through the preaching and teaching or testimony of any preacher or teacher or witness. That's ludicrous. It's not our aim here to delineate all the scriptures that support the ongoing operation of all the gifts of the Spirit through the church age, right up to the return of the Lord. I'll just mention a, a couple of items. For once, for instance, Paul opens his letter to the Corinthians by remarking that, quote, you come behind in no gift while waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Here, Paul ties the operation of the gifts of the Spirit directly to the return of Jesus. And then later, in chapter 13 of the same letter, he says that when that which is perfect has come, then the imperfect, meaning the gifts, will be done away. Now, teachers who have tried to claim that this verse is a proof text for the cessation of the operation of the gifts, such as prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, and tongues, end up shooting themselves in the foot. This very verse proves the exact opposite of, sense of cessationism. Even scholars among their own ranks have rejected, and rightly so, the idea that it was the Bible that was being referred to by Paul as that which is perfect, which is going to come. When we got the Bible, that was supposed to be the perfection that was coming that would do away with the gifts. Well, it's not the Bible Paul was referring to. He was referring to the coming of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom has come in its fullness, we who once saw through a dark glass will see face to face. We who once only knew in part will know completely. Then the need for gifts will cease. But this only underscores the very fact that gifts such as prophecy would be fully functional right up to the return of Jesus on the earth. Paul wants the whole church to operate in prophecy. 1 Corinthians 12. Yet he tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that they must watch out for every false manifestation of prophecy, <clears throat> abstain from participating in such false things, and hold fast that which is good uh, that may be coming through the prophetic gift. Then he says, don't despise prophesying. Evidently, Prophecy can become something that is easy to despise, or Paul wouldn't have said that. If so, though, why would God even set this gift into the church? Paul says in chapter 12 that the purpose of prophecy is to edify, exhort, and comfort. 
and yet <clears throat> it's something that can be so confusing or uh, even despicable that Paul has to warn them not to despise it. Well, we know from various texts that prophecy can have two different operations that may intertwine or operate separately. First, it may foretell the future, like Agabus in the book of Acts, who foretells the coming of a famine and also of Paul's arrest. But more often, prophecy refers to preaching under a strong anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not just preaching, but it's powerful, prophetic, anointed preaching. Such preaching may have foretelling elements in it, but it's more forthtelling than foretelling. It speaks in such a way as to bring immediate response to the message by awakening conviction that brings repentance and wise, godly action. So why would God require us to have to sort out what is real from what is false? Why not make it clearer? Why allow it to be so muddy? Well, in order to train our senses to be able to discern the difference between what is true and good from what is false and bad. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, By now you ought to be teaching others, yet you remain like those who must be taught and have to drink milk because you cannot digest strong adult food. But adult food is for those who have trained their senses by reason of use or exercised their senses to be able to tell the difference, to discern between what is good and true and what is bad and false. God expects us to exercise our spiritual senses so that we can grow in our ability to discern. For the most part, the church in the West has chosen to remain milk-drinking babies. There's no interest in growing into mature spiritual adulthood in many, many churches. So the exercising of discernment which produces spiritual muscle hardly ever happens. People are either gullible, as in many charismatic circles, who just take in whatever weird manifestation happens in front of them, and they think if it's spiritual, it's got to be good, not knowing that there are two different kingdoms in the spirit world, and they can never be reconciled. Uh, Or they go away the other direction and refuse to acknowledge anything supernatural and live in mainline denominational structures where everything is safe and defined and uh, there's no spiritual warfare and everything is uh, neatly organized and and put in a a category where they don't have to exercise any discernment at all. Either way, there's no discernment. So little discipleship comes out of that and little preparation for things to come. I love the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. I've seen the good fruit of it for many years, but I have also seen the danger of what happens when they are so mixed with human error that they become tools for evil, uh, though they were obviously meant for good. God allows this to happen in order to make us grow up. So we learn to discern, we learn to forgive, and we learn to uh, to grow up. I love the Word of God. I love the Word-centered part of the church, where holiness is the focus and reverence for the, the 
awesomeness of God is held forward. There's a humility and love of the scriptures produced in uh, many of these churches. A deep desire to honor God by obeying his word. Where there is obedience to scripture out of a loving and humble heart, discernment will automatically come. Gifts or no gifts. In fact, where there is such a love for God's word, gifts will operate even if that group thinks they passed away. (laughs) But I've also seen the danger of a heady intellectualism that is so proud of its scholarship that the very scripture they claim to love and obey becomes something they read and dissect rather than allowing it to read and dissect them. Knowledge puffs up, Paul says. God seems to have set us all in places where we have to grow up if we're going to follow him. But sadly, most of the Western church has opted for entertainment and operating in what I call felt-need-motivated spirituality. That is, only being moved toward God to get, quote, their needs met. More than dying to self, rising in Christ's power, laying down their lives for others, and walking in obedience, whether they feel it or not. Now, this can be the only answer for the huge rise in divorce and the increase in sexual sin and mental instability, increased dependence on psychotropic medicines, though I'm thankful for them when when they're applied properly. Uh, they're, They're out of control in the lives of people who should be living in what the Bible refers to as love and joy and peace. Uh... And uh, also, this would be the only explanation for us having such, such pitiful, transformative effect on the culture. We are not salt and light. Uh, the dark is very dark, and the rottenness is very rotten, and the church, which is supposed to be the antidote for both of those elements, is quite often caught up in those elements. Still, there is at the same time, thankfully, a rising increase in serious-minded discipleship that doesn't seek to choose word over spirit or spirit over word, but which seeks God's spirit through his word and is guided by God's word to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is what God has been waiting for in, in the Western church. There's a rising body of Jesus followers who are seriously wanting to follow him instead of just sticking the the term Christian on themselves. Jesus followers who are becoming exactly that, true disciples of his word and are therefore coming to understand the times that we live in. For obedience produces understanding. See, we, we want it the other way around. We want to understand everything, and if we like what we hear, then we might obey it. But real disciples obey their master because they trust him. It's not a matter of intellectual exercise. It's a matter of relational obedience. I've been privileged to have been raised in a spiritual heritage that honored both word and spirit. Whether it was the old Pentecostals or the early charismatic leaders of various denominations, Uh, I saw men and women in my early years who, uh, with all their foibles and mistakes, had a serious commitment to obeying the Holy Spirit and uh, honored the Scriptures. 
And from my exposure to those men and women who took the scriptures seriously enough to obey them in the ministry of the gifts, there was a maturity and an accuracy in their lives and ministries. They had an old saying among them. They said, all word and no spirit, you dry up. All spirit and no word, you blow up. Word and spirit, you grow up. And they did. And they helped us grow up. Now, some have complained that prophecy is nothing more than a restating of what's already in Scripture. So why bother with it? Just read your Bible. But Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, I always remind you of these things, even though you are already established in the truth and, and you are walking in it. So Paul, uh, Peter says here, there's times when the Spirit of God causes me to to restate to you what you already know. And and then Paul says to the Philippians something very similar, uh, where he says, to write the same things over and over to you is not grievous for me to do. And for you to hear it over and over is a safety measure. He says it's safe for you to hear these things over and over. Well, that tells me it's unsafe to not hear these things over and over. So it's unsafe if the spirit of the prophetic is not operable in a congregation of people where they think, uh, well, I've heard it, so, you know, I know it. It's very foolish for us to think just because we know something that we're walking in it. It's very presumptuous for us to think because we are familiar with concepts that we don't need them to be represented to us in a way that will call us into focus on those issues. Remember the function of prophecy is to edify, exhort, and comfort. Well, to edify means to build up and strengthen. To exhort means to urge into wise action by argument or a strong appeal. And to comfort means to give aid, encouragement, or strength in the face of trouble. So a prophecy that seems to shake us up and awaken us and maybe in the process cause us to feel very uncomforted uh, may not feel very much like it meets the criteria of these three elements of exhortation uh, and comfort and edification. But if we're not awake in the face of reality, the only way to bring real comfort to us is to shake us awake. If we're not strong in the face of impending trouble, the only way to edify us is to make the reality we are avoiding unavoidable. This is why true prophecy edifies and comforts, but may do so by the very means of exhorting us with a refocusing warning that in itself is not very comforting and doesn't feel very edifying. That's the spirit of the two prophetic words that are offered here in this nightlight. There's two prophetic voices that uh, I want to communicate to you through this uh, hour together. The first one is a prophetic word given by Dr. Stanley Frodsham, who was a British author and Christian leader who lived from 1882 to 1969. He gave this prophetic word at uh, Elam Bible Institute in 1965. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the entire prophecy word for word. What I leave out will be parts that 
uh, are in some ways uh, redundant so that you're not going to miss anything of what I'm sharing with you. But please keep in mind as you listen what I've just told you about the meaning of what it what it really means to be edified and comforted. I'm not comforted by being told lies. I'm only comforted by the truth because only the truth can make us free. But uh, this word was given in 1965, and it's as relevant as, uh, it, it, as if it was spoken in yesterday's newspaper. And I believe it was spoken in 1965 for us. With great judgments will I plead with the population of this country. Great darkness is coming upon the countries that have heard my gospel but no longer walk in it. My wrath shall come upon those nations. The darkness shall be so great and the anguish so sore that men will cry out for death and shall not find it. There shall be a lingering death, famine, and great catastrophes. My wrath shall be manifested against all ungodliness. It shall come with great intensity. You have known my love, but have not known my wrath, my severity. My judgments are literal and not a thing to be lightly passed over. Realize the severity of my judgments and my intense anger against the sin in my household. My judgment shall begin in my house. For I will cleanse my people before I begin to shake the earth. I will purge from my people the iniquities so that they will not be partakers of the judgments of the world. My people shall be separate. I desire a people without spot or wrinkle, and such shall be preserved by me in the time of my wrath, coming upon all iniquity and unrighteousness. I'm going to prepare you for the coming days by a hard path that will cause you to cry out continually to me. For when the going is easy, men do not seek me, but rejoice in a temporary blessing. When that blessing is removed, they so often turn this way and that way, but do not come back to me. I'm showing you these things that you may seek me continually and with great diligence. As you seek me, I will open up truth to you that you have seen uh, or that you have not seen before. And these very truths will be that which will enable you to stand in these days. As you are persecuted, reviled, and rejected by your brothers, then you will turn to me with all your heart and seek me for that spiritual life you have need of. When tribulation comes, you will have that which will enable you to stand, for many shall be tossed backward and forward. Men's hearts shall fail them because of trouble coming on every hand, for these days shall be very terrible, the like of which has never been seen before. When I visit my people in mighty revival power, it is to prepare them for the darkness ahead. With the glory shall come great darkness, for the glory is to prepare my people for the darkness. I will enable my people to go through because of the visitation of my spirit. Take heed to yourselves, lest you be puffed up and think you have arrived. Many will be puffed up in the as in the olden days, for many shall receive my message, but they shall not continue in it. Did I not anoint Jehu? Yet the things I desired were not accomplished in his life. 
Listen to the messengers, but do not hold men's persons in admiration. For many whom I shall anoint mightily with signs and miracles shall become lifted up and shall fall by the wayside. I do not this willingly. I have made provision that they may not uh, that they might stand and not fall. I call many into this ministry and equip them. But remember that many shall fall. They shall be like bright lights, and the people shall delight in them. But they shall be taken over by deceiving spirits and shall lead many of my people astray. Listen diligently concerning these things, for in the last days shall come seducing spirits that shall turn many of my anointed ones away into falsehood. Many shall fall through diverse lusts and become, uh, because sin uh, is abounding. But you will seek me diligently, and I will put my spirit within you. When one shall turn to the right hand or to the left, you shall not turn with them, but keep your eyes wholly on me. The coming days are the most dangerous, difficult, and dark, but there shall be a mighty outpouring of my spirit upon many cities and many other cities destroyed. My people must be diligently warned concerning the days that are ahead. Many shall turn after seducing spirits. Many are already seducing my people. It is those who do righteousness that are righteous. Many cover their sins by great theological words, but I warn you of seducing spirits who instruct my people in evil. Many of these I shall anoint but they sh- that they may purify and sift my people for I would have a holy people. Many shall come with seducing spirits and hold out lustful enticements. You will find that after I have visited my people again, the way shall become more and more narrow, and fewer shall walk in it. But be not deceived, the ways of righteousness are my ways. For though Satan comes as an angel of light, Don't listen to him. For those who perform miracles and speak not righteousness are not of me. I warn you with great intensity that I am going to judge my house and have a church without spot or wrinkle when I come. I desire to open your eyes and give you spiritual understanding that you may not be deceived but may walk with uprightness of heart before me, loving righteousness and hating every evil way. Look to me, and I will make you to be able to perceive with the eyes of the Spirit the things that lurk in the darkness that are not visible to the human eye. Let me lead you in this way that you may perceive the power of darkness and battle against them. It's not a battle against flesh and blood, for if you battle in that way, you accomplish nothing. But if you let me take over and battle against the powers of darkness, then they are defeated, and then liberation is brought to my people. I warn you to search the scriptures diligently these last days. For the things that are written shall indeed be made manifest. These shall come, there shall come deceivers among my people in increasing numbers who shall speak forth the truth and shall gain the favor of the people. For the people shall examine the scriptures and say what they say is true. Then when they have gained the hearts of the people, then and then only shall they bring out false doctrines Therefore I say that you should not give your heart to them, nor hold people's persons in high esteem. For these very persons shall Satan enter into and seduce my people. Do not think a seducer will brandish a new heresy and flaunt it before the people. 
He will speak the words that seem to be true and right. He will appear as a minister of light, declaring the word. The people's hearts shall be one. Then when the hearts are one, they will bring out their false doctrines, and the people shall be deceived. They will say, did he not speak so-and-so? And did we not examine it from the scriptures? Therefore he must be a righteous man. This is that that he has now spoken, and we do not see it in Scripture, but it must be right, because we trust this man. Don't be deceived, for the deceiver will first work to gain the hearts of many, and then shall bring forth his insidious doctrines. You cannot discern those who are of me and those who are not of me when they start to preach. You seek me constantly, and then when the false doctrines are brought out, you will have the witness in your heart that these things are not from me. Do not be afraid, for I have told you beforehand. Many will be deceived, but you will walk in holiness and uprightness before the Lord. Your eyes shall be opened, and the Lord will protect you. If you will constantly look to me and will know when the doctrines change and will not be brought, and you will not be brought into it. If your heart is right, I will keep you, and if you will look constantly to me, I will uphold you. The minister of righteousness shall be on this wise. His life will agree with his message, and his lips shall give forth that which is wholly true, and it will not have mixture in it. Did you get that, folks? When the mixture appears, then you will know he is not a minister of righteousness. The deceivers speak first the truth and then the error to cover their own sins, which they love. Therefore, I exhort and command you to study the scriptures relative to seducing spirits, for this is uh, the one of the great dangers of the end time. I desire you to be firmly established in my word and not in the personalities of men that you will not be moved as so many shall be moved. I would keep you in the path of righteousness. Take heed to yourselves and follow not the seducing spirits that are already manifesting themselves. Diligently inquire of me when you hear something that you have not seen in the scriptures and do not hold people's persons in admiration for it is by this very method that Satan will hold many of my people in deception. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that you may triumph where I triumphed. It's the cross where I triumphed over all the power of darkness, and I call you to walk in the same path. It is when your life is on the cross that you shall know the victory I have experienced. As you are on the cross and seated in me, then you shall know the power of my resurrection. When I come in my glory, the principalities and powers in the heavenlies shall be utterly broken. Do not be afraid, for I have given you power whereby you may tread down the power of darkness and come forth victorious through every trial. As you are on the cross, then you are victorious. It is on the cross that I have triumphed over all the power of the enemy. My life shall flow through you as you enter into these precious truths. Look to me and appropriate my life. Let your greatest desire be for me, and your eyes turn toward me. <clears throat> and you know what it is to be crucified with me, then you shall live, and your anointing shall increase. It was not in my life that I walked upon the earth, but it was in my life when I was upon the cross that I openly destroyed principalities and powers. I'm showing you truth that shall come, that shall cause you to overcome, to have power over the wicked one, Truth that will liberate you and those around you. 
you shall know also the fellowship of my sufferings. There's no other way whereby you may partake of this heavenly power and glory and reign with me. If you suffer with him, you shall reign with him. I desire to make these truths real to you. As you keep them before you, you will liberate many who are in bondage. You will have revelation of those who are in darkness and will have the keys to liberate the captives. Many seek to liberate, but they have no keys. Upon the cross continually you will know the power of my resurrection, that you may also partake in my glory. As you are willing to walk with me and rejoice in your sufferings, you shall also then partake of my glory. Look to me, for you have need of power to overcome the wicked one and the bondages in the lives of those around you. If you will indeed judge yourself, you shall not be judged. As you seek my face and desire to be cleansed by me in all truth and sincerity of heart, I will judge you in the secret place, and the things that are in the secret place of your heart shall not be made manifest into the light where others can see it. I will do it in the secret place, and no man shall know it. And the shame that shall be seen on many faces shall not be seen on yours. Therefore in love and mercy I am instructing you, and therefore I have said that if a man judge himself he will not be judged. It is my good pleasure that the shame of my people not be seen at all. How can I judge the world if I have not judged my own first? Hearken to these things I'm telling you. If you will not hearken to me, then the shame will become evident to all. I would have you consider my life on earth. The anointing upon me was great, and yet the temptations were great on every side. In one form and then in another, offering me first the glory of the kingdoms of the earth and then reviling and persecuting me. There will be great glory given to my people, and yet temptations shall be intensified also on every side. Don't think that the glory shall be with the glory there shall be no temptations or persecutions. The glory of my church shall be great. So shall the temptation from the enemy to turn my people from my paths. I'm warning you that when the glory shall be manifested, the temptations shall be great. Until very few that start finish well. First there shall be offered them great worldly possessions, then great revilings and unbelief. Consider your Lord, that as he walked, so you shall walk. There shall be need of great intensity of purpose. At times, everyone shall rise up against you, simply to turn you from the course that I would put you on. It's written of me that I set my face like flint to go in the direction my father had prescribed for me. If you will finish the course I have laid for you, you will have to set your face like flint. With great determination, you must walk in the course laid down for you. Many of your loved ones and those who claim to follow me who live with you will try to turn you from such a course. With many words that seem right to the natural mind, they will speak to you. Did not Christ rebuke Peter who would turn him from the course the Father had prescribed for him? Understand these two things and meditate upon them solemnly. The persecution and the darkness shall be as great as the glory will be. In order to try to turn my people, the anointed ones, from the path that I have laid for them. Many will start, but few will be able to finish because of the greatness of grace that shall be needed to be 
able to endure to the end. The temptations and the persecution of your Lord will be continuous. He was tempted by Satan in many forms throughout his entire life and even to the cross when the ungodly cried out, If you are the Christ, come down from the cross. Don't think that there shall be a time of no persecution, for it shall be from the time of your anointing until the time of the end. Difficulties and great persecutions right to the end. The Lord must prepare you to be an overcomer in all these things that you may be able to finish the course the persecution shall increase even as the anointing shall increase. In paths of judgment and righteousness shall the Lord God lead his people and bring forth, uh, bring them forth into the place which he has chosen for them. For the Lord has chosen a place for his people, a place of righteousness and holiness, where he shall encamp round about them. And all who will be led by the Lord shall be brought into this place of holiness. For the Lord delights to dwell in his people and to manifest himself through his people. The holiness of the Lord shall be manifest through his people. Let the Lord lead you, and he will lead you into, uh, in difficult times. He led his people of the old days through the place where no man dwelt, where no man had passed through, a place of great danger and in the shadow of death. The Lord will indeed again lead his people through such places, and yet he will bring them out into a place of great glory. Understand that the way toward the glory is fraught with danger, and many shall fall to the right and to the left. Many shall camp on lesser ground. But the Lord has a place of holiness, and no unclean thing can dwell among his people. Put your trust in him, and he will bring you into such a place. He desires to bring his people into great glory, the like of which has never been seen for what the Lord will do for those who put their trust in him. It is a place of darkness and danger that separates his people into the place he would have them walk. He will protect them from the voices that would turn them from his path, he will bring them through the dark places and through the treacherous places out into the light of his glory. He will rejoice greatly over his beloved and cause you to be filled with joy unspeakable. He seeks to lead his people into a new place of grace and glory where he will indeed encamp among them. Put your trust in him and he surely will bring you into this place. Don't be afraid of the days that are coming. But fear this only, that you shall walk in a manner pleasing to me. In this time I'm ordering and settling up my church, and it shall indeed be pure without spot or wrinkle. I will do work in my beloved that has not been seen since the foundation of the world. I have shown you these things, that you may seek the Lord diligently with all your heart, that you may be a preserver of his people. Do not run to this one or to that one, for the Lord has so ordained that salvation come from him and him alone. You shall not turn to this shepherd or to that one. You shall not be a great, for there will be a great scattering upon the earth. Therefore look to him, for he will indeed make these things clear. You shall not look here or there, for the wells that once had water shall no longer have water. But as you diligently seek me, I shall increase your strength and your faith that you may be able to be prepared for the time that's coming. The truths that I've revealed to you must become a part of you, not just an experience, but a part of your very nature. It's not, is it not written that I demand truth in the inward parts? 
It is the truth of the Lord expressed in your very being that shall keep you and hold you. Many shall experience the truth, but the truth must become a part of you, your very life. As men and women look un upon you, they will hear not only the voice, but the expression of the truth. Many shall be overcome because they are not constant in my ways, and because they have not permitted the truth to become part of them. I am showing you these things, that you may be prepared, and so having done all, you will stand. I believe if I was to speak to a hundred different people who just listened to this, there would be probably a hundred different testimonies of what stood out to them or what spoke to them, because that's one of the characteristics of tr the truly prophetic. It can speak to a wide variety of people on a large, different, uh, differing levels of intensity, and uh, and yet everybody is being called to the same purpose and the same closeness to the Lord. If any of you would like a transcript of this, just all you got to do is let me know, and I'll be glad to uh, to send you a copy. If you'll just send me a, a self-addressed postpaid envelope, uh, the postage could get a little difficult if I try to do all of that without your help. But if you'd like a copy, I'll be glad to send it. This next word came in 1976 through uh, a woman whose ministry I have known for years and someone who I very much respect and trust, uh, Mary Ann Brown. And uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry it to the, and, and uh, carry it to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. For it seems slow in coming, but wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Marianne, in 1976, was a young, single mother, serving the Lord, raising her children uh, without much help. Uh, nobody famous, nobody she was like the prophet Amos. You know, Amos says, I was neither a prophet nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a keeper of sycamore trees. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and my heart was set on fire. How can I help but prophesy? And this is what Marianne wrote in April of 1976. I saw pictures and words. The words that I saw under each picture appeared branded in by fire. The first vision I saw New York with the Statue of Liberty. She was tilted. They had put her up on crutches and covered her with paint. Then the words came, When you see her this way, it is the beginning of great sorrow and deception for your nation. President Reagan issued the proclamation to refurbish the Statue of Liberty in 1982. Work began in 1984 and was finished in 1986. Uh, she appeared, the Statue of Liberty appeared exactly as she had appeared in my vision, scaffolding covered in paint. Then the second vision came. In this vision I saw a map of the United States with lights big and small all over the map. I knew they were churches. Then a sound like a sonic boom came, 
and shook the whole map. Some remained the same, and others became bigger. It seemed that revival had come all over the nation. But then the word came, Do not be deceived. It's an angel of light. I saw banks then in the next picture with padlocks on the doors, one after another padlocks. The God of America will fall and not provide, bringing great confusion on the earth. I saw large businesses no longer there, gone, broke. Devastation, all hope gone. Difficult times, fear will be released, money will be tight, will affect the church where she will become more money-minded than people-minded. Gold will rise in price. People will try to find security in gold, but it will not be found. This will set up the planet for the rise of a new world monetary system. I saw a black cloud enter my people. They were filled with confusion, depression, and hopelessness. Suicide followed by the spirit of death. Pills and guns will be seen on the uprise. I saw earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, drastic weather changes in California, Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, Washington, Alaska, off the Richter scale. She went on to say that the vision of the Alaska earthquake that she saw was so devastating that it nearly sank the entire state. Fear, so men will cry out. God calling people to repent. I saw food lines as far as the eye could see. Food will begin to dwindle because of no rain and floods. It will be a difficult time. Men will go wild because of a spirit uh, to survive. Anger, riots, murder. People will fear to come out of their houses. Return to the cross and die to self. The church will stop preaching the cross and its power. Return to the cross and die to self so that these physical deaths will have no power over you. Uh, I hope you keep in mind as you're listening to this the parallels in these words with uh, Stanley Frunchum's word ten years before. I saw epidemics break out everywhere. Medical help will be impossible to have for many. The return of diseases that were once gone. Even many of my people will forget that I am their healer because they will see what's happening in the earth instead of looking to me. They will become so used to looking at the earth and getting their cues from the earth that they will not uh, even consider to ask me. I saw hell come down to bring great deception, if possible even deceiving God's people. Morals inside the church will become the same as the world. That, that's almost there now. A demonic spirit of perversion and filth so intense will turn men's minds to evil. Many will fall inside the church because of a love affair with the world 
and not with me. My people must hear as in the days of Noah. They must come out of religion into relationship and enter into covenant. They will not believe that a flood is coming. I saw a tremendous uprise in homosexuality. It will begin to be accepted in the government, in the education system, in the family, and finally in the church. In the church, same-sex marriages will be encouraged to live free, openly. The moral fiber of the country will cave in. People will love themselves and not God. My people must press into having passion for me. The Lord said to her in the midst of that. I saw ministry coming down like falling stars because of immoralities. Ministries collapsing, falling like falling stars. Divorce, affairs, homosexuality, sin not dealt with, none of which shall bring uh, shame nor carry any stigma any longer. Satan, in many cases, will win their hearts because they refuse to lay the axe to the root and they will have no discernment. Take heart, I will come to cleanse and judge my house. It belongs to me. Endure to the end. I am with you and will not forsake you. I saw the Bible open wide, false doctrines that make men turn to end-time events, faith centered on man rather than on truth. Extremes will draw people away with itching ears. The Antichrist and end times will be, be more important than their concern uh, that angels of light have crept into the church. Families will fall apart because of the focus on wealth instead of home, and surrendering to Jesus Christ and his lordship will be ignored, and uh, in the place of it will be chasing after uh, signs and uh, manifestations. Focus on end times instead of the time we're now living in. Uh, will call, cause people to live uh, with all kinds of false doctrines leading them astray. I saw gangs on the uprise, substitute families, no communication with parents, no love, no time invested. The TV will become children's parents, full of crime, violence, sex, anger, and rebellion. Now you got to remember this was written in 1976. Many will not see because they are so caught up in self they have no time for their children. They cannot hear their children's cries. I saw hypocrites rise in the church. All kinds of sin, immorality will be in preachers' lives. They will preach against these very things while they themselves are engaged in sinful activities. The church will begin to lose her influence with believers in the world. The Lord says, remember the enemy in the last days will come into the church. Watch, fast, pray. There will be a great falling away. I saw riots, chaos, murder, lack of food. People will be like animals. It will make room for the one world government, the one world money system and the one world church. The Antichrist spirit will be behind it all. I saw government, civilians, military, and church being moved, making room for the Antichrist to take power in the midst of desperation, depression, and lawlessness. Guard your heart and mind. Stay focused on the Lord and His kingdom.
I saw Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Washington State, Washington, D.C., Boston, Newark, New York City, Nashville, Little Rock, on fire. Cities burning. In January 2010, Marianne said that Dallas was on fire because of violent race riots so bad that troops could not contain it. New York City will be completely destroyed. What she saw was not 9-11. Earthquakes in Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia, Louisiana, were, uh, uh, areas were destroyed, and she didn't think it was Katrina. San Diego was immersed by a tsunami. Mount St. Helens erupted again and devastated the whole of the Washington state. She described what she saw as being on the level of the Civil War, brother against brother. Every state would be affected by this. No one remained unaffected. The chaos and the destruction was so widespread. And the Lord said, Look to me. I am the author and finisher of your faith. Look up. I'm very near. I saw the land burned, oceans, rivers, and seas full of death. I saw the whole earth groaning for his coming the earth begging for him to return and relieve it from the oppression of the sins of men pressing upon it. And the Lord said, Tell my church to wake up, return to me. I'm their only hope. Men's hearts will fail them for fear. Stay full of my spirit and remember that I am sovereign over all this. Remember, he is our deliverer. We are not destined for destruction. The pain of all of this is birth pangs unto the birthing of a new world and a new life. The kingdom is coming on earth. Stay faithful to him. Now, uh, you may be having lots of different reactions to this. You may be having knee-jerk reactions. You may be having thoughtful, prayerful, discerning reactions. You may be having mixed reactions. You may be having no reactions because you haven't had a chance to really digest it. But rather than me trying to offer some synopsis of, of uh, this, which I was tempted to do, I think it would be wiser to let you do that on your own. Here's what I would suggest. First of all, you do recognize that there's not anything in these prophecies that are not found in Scripture in some form or other. Even the dire, scary destruction parts. Uh, obviously, they all have their, uh, their roots in uh, aspects of the book of Revelation and other images in the prophets of uh, impending judgment on nations that have turned away from God and Israel, of course, itself. Uh, the judgments and chastisements and uh, uh, so forth that, that came on Israel. We've talked in previous messages, uh, especially related to the Harbinger, about where we are as a nation and where we believe, where I believe that we need to uh, be in intercession and in prayer and in careful discernment about national issues, international issues, the condition of the church, 
most of all our own private personal condition because that's ultimately the only thing that we are capable of of directly changing if it needs changing but then at the same time it's not just an individual thing we are called to stand in the gap to make up the hedge to uh lift holy hands without wrath and doubting and pray for uh, the church to live in peace and godliness so that the church can be unhindered and pray for good government so that the church is unhindered and so forth. We've talked about those things previously. What I would ask you to do in the light of that fact that since these things are all in Scripture, uh, I don't find anything in these prophetic words that contradict scripture and I do find an element of urgency that is sounding the trumpet in specific ways to get me to wake up and pay attention to things that oh yeah they're in scripture and I can walk past my Bible every day like I can walk past the 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 coffee table and be no more moved by what's inside the pages of that scripture than I am by the legs on the coffee table. Just knowing it's in the Bible is not the issue. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us in the face of the events that we're passing through and the condition of the earth? Now, uh, I just want to mention a couple of things in the time that we've got left about one of the things, especially that was in Stanley Frodsham's warning. One of the things that came across over and over, and remember, this warning came in 1965, but right now, if there's ever been a time in the the life of the church where there is a danger of personalities being given uh, a position of authority greater than, than than the Holy Spirit intended them to have, all based on name and man's ability to propagate names and fame and all that goes with it. People following after name ministries and and, uh, the subtle warning that was given in that prophecy that, that signs and wonders and miracles and gifts would accompany certain ministries as they rise up in the end of the age. And that at first the message would be right and everything would seem right. But then after the people's hearts were captured by it, there would be a hook. There would be a turn that would that would be taken and then deceptions would begin to be pouring in. I believe that's beginning to happen. I believe actually it's been happening for quite a while. I've talked pretty straight about it. People claiming to uh, fly around to heaven and taking astral projection trips and seeing angels and uh, claiming that they can interact with the angels at will and all kinds of other goofy, new-agey, wacky things that start off at first just being silly, but after a while when they gain momentum, they go from being silly to being dangerous and from being dangerous to be really being destructive. <laughs> now, uh, I'm not frightened by any of this. I'm not even frightened for people about any of this. God will bring correction and, and cleansing and uh, 
in whatever way that needs to come. But I am concerned about those of us who are awake and are standing in the gap and praying for the nation that uh, we don't get exhausted by all this contradictory seeming difficult. It's so difficult to sort through all this. And in, in the middle of trying to sort through it, some people, even leaders, have said to me, I just give up. I don't know what to believe anymore. You know, here's this guy who doesn't believe in miracles and gifts and healings. He's got a really straight message, but 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 there's no anointing and no blessing on, on his ministry. Then here's so-and-so who's got all these gifts and ministries and people being healed and so forth. But some of the stuff I hear teaching coming from uh, this group, I can't, can't buy into it. And then you hear about cultic kinds of control over people uh, being wielded by some who uh, gained that control by signs and wonders and miracles. And the people just gullibly took in the whole message based on miracles. You know, I don't know how long we're going to have to go through all this before we learn that signs and wonders and miracles are wonderful, but they do not confirm the character of the ministry. Uh, Yes, Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you don't believe in me, at least believe me for the work's sake. But he was saying that because the works pointed to him, and if they had come to him, they would have not found a contradiction at all between who he was and the works. When we do see contradictions between the works being done and the character of the people moving in those gifts, we should be alarmed. But you see, folks, we are entering a time, again, this was prophesied in both of these prophecies, where there is no concern over sin. There is no conviction of sin. Uh, who, who, who needs a Savior when nothing you do is wrong? When there's no, uh, there's no need for grace and mercy. Uh, uh, for heaven's sakes, I'm not trying to get you to live in a sin consciousness. I, I want you to be able to walk freely from uh, the the burdens and bondages of the past and live in your true self, which was all purchased by the blood of Jesus at the cross. But what I'm hearing coming from many ministries is don't even think about all that. Uh, We're new creations to the point that you don't even need to look back at the cross. You You don't need to ever repent anymore. We've talked about this before. There's no repentance anymore because you're already living in the kingdom power as if the resurrection had already happened. Now, in some sense, that's true. We do live in the power of the resurrection of Christ, which has already happened. And the moment Jesus stepped out of that tomb, that was the end of the age as far as the universe is concerned. Yet, even though that's true, it still has a future fulfillment in the return of Christ and the resurrection of our bodies and the the overthrow of what Paul calls the last enemy, which is death in 1 Corinthians 15. So even the Apostle Paul, who lived in the powers of the world to come probably more than any man we know of in history, still points toward the not yet 
even though he proclaimed the power of the resurrection as present uh, the moment Jesus stepped out of the tomb. This is too large a subject to try to address in the close of a message. But my point is, take the prophetic words that I've shared with you here. If you want transcriptions of them so you can read them for yourself, send me a self-addressed envelope uh, and request them, and I will send them to you. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, please be aware that you don't escape the demands of discerning the difference between what is true and what is false by simply saying it's all passed away with the apostles, therefore we don't have to deal with it, nor do we escape it by just being gullible and foolish and taking on board whatever kind of manifestations or prophecies or miracles occur. God has set it up like that on purpose in order to, I don't want to say force, but in order to, to I guess, force is the only word I can use, us into a position where we have to begin to discern, we have to begin to grow up, we have to begin to uh, separate the light from the dark, the truth from the false, the good from the evil, instead of just hiding from it and ignoring it.